gently to chant Om three times. <clears throat> that'll that'll all put us on the same page. You know, we all had some people have had ham and eggs for breakfast, some have toast, some skip breakfast, you know. You know, please come. Some had to rush, some came leisurely. It'll, it'll put us all on the same page. So anytime you're chanting on, oh, this is a, a very sort of simple but very interesting and very useful. Uh, what, when you're doing chanting, especially a very uh, like one syllable of mantra, like on om, something like that. Uh, if you want to get more out of it, um, you should think of your body like a bell. And so when you hit a bell, it just rings one tone. And the, it's not like one part of the bell rings, the entire bell rings. See? So if you see Sylvia sitting there, her body's sitting there like a bell. You know? So when, when you chant Om, you're not just chanting uh, from your throat. You, you, you try to visualize chanting from your entire body that your entire body is, is saturated um, with, the, with the sound. Um, when you chant any mantra, you are literally uh, practicing a form of alchemy. You know, in the middle, middle ages, they would say, from lead to gold. That analogy is actually accurate. You know, they were trying to do it literally, but the analogy itself is accurate. Where... Um, uh, Mantra is, is a form of, um, of self-purification. It, it creates environment, an environment within your system uh, that breaks down uh, delusion, breaks down any form of, of corruption, and helps to establish harmony, internal harmony, whether it's physical harmony, emotional harmony, psychic harmony. That's what's happening. So the, the, there, are, sometimes people say Om or Om Namah Shivaya, Om Shiram, you know, and they say, "Oh, this is boring. What am I saying? What's it doing?" They, they don't. They don't realize uh, those mantras are super, super powerful, whether you understand it or not. You know, like I don't understand the the physics of fire, but if I stick my finger in it, I realize there's a lot of power hidden there. <laughs> Same thing with, with mantra. You may not understand the physics, but the physics are still there. Whether you understand it or not, the, the physics are still operational. See? So, when you're chanting Om, basically, you just want to be peaceful and think about becoming saturated. Just saturated with the vibration. The vibration will do its own alchemy. It'll do its own thing. See? Like most people don't understand the mechanics of a car, but we all can drive. But if you ask the, under the hood, what is this, what is this, how does this work? You know, most of us don't know. There is a, there is a mechanics to all of these things. You know, it, it, it's not a uh, vacant something. It's a something something. It's a full something. <laughs> it's not vacant. So, there's more... There's far more I could say about that, but just as a just as a start, to to, to realize there's an alchemy to mantra, there's a physics to mantra, and it works whether you understand it or not. You know? 
some mantras have a, a, a particular meaning and a particular reference to aspects of divinity. Some don't particularly have a meaning, but just have an effect. See? <laughs> yeah. So these are these are little things to understand. You know, with with yoga science, you know, uh, I really implore that you use absolutely 100% of your intelligence. Uh, try to use absolutely 100% of your discrimination. See? Really, don't say, "Oh, this guy's wearing yellow." Or this guy's wearing white, it must be true. No, don't do that. Don't do that at all. You know, use your, your creative um, discrimination. You know, if something doesn't make sense, ask. Ask another question. Ask a follow up question. Ask a follow up question. See? With these sciences, wherever you stand, you must know absolutely what's beneath your feet. See? And then be willing to do the experiments to find out for sure. The, the, the beauty of yoga science is there's no guessing in it. You know, there, there, there is a, a clear methodology. There's a philosophy. There's a psychology. There's a methodology. You have to apply all those things, do the experiments, and see for yourself. See, the, the, the beauty of yoga is you find out for yourself personally. So... If an elephant steps on your foot, is there any maybe whether it stepped in your foot? Or is it a very deliberate yes? Real yoga is that way. Real yoga is that way. Your, your knowledge is affirmative, definite. Either definitely it happened or definitely it didn't happen. Nobody ever says, well, maybe the elephant stepped on my foot. Can you imagine that? No, it's not, that's not possible. You know, that's not possible. So when you're doing yogic practices, fulfill the exercise and see for yourself. Treat everything as an experiment. Everything treat as an experiment. But fulfill the experiment. You know? And it's not the way you want to do it. It's the way the saints say. It, it's, it's like mathematical formulas. You, can just, you can't just throw in an X or a Y or an S any way you want. There's a very deliberate formula. Apply the formula see the results. There's no such thing as do your own thing in yoga. If you, if you think that, you really are in the wrong place. Go find some other place that you can do your own thing, some boogie yoga club or something, I don't know. <laughs> you know this is a science. It is not a joke. It, it, it is a science. You know. So we have to, um, certain, like, when we go to our professors, we have a a certain level of reasonable respect for their training, for their background, for their research. Same thing with yoga. It's, it's just now the researchers are rishis, or saints, or yogis. You know, so they have they have a reasonable background. So you should say, okay, this person has a reasonable background. Let's apply the science. Let's learn the science. Let's learn the formulas, and let's see what happens. Yeah. Every real professor doesn't want you to stay a student forever. A real professor wants you eventually to become a colleague. <laughs> See? You know, they don't want you staying at an undergraduate level or a merely graduate level. They, they want you to move into the trades and become, you know, like them. 
you know, a, a professor, someone who's lifting. So these are these are just general things. Uh, I'm saying a lot of this because I see a lot of new faces here today, you know. So sort of just to uh, uh, set the grounds uh, of how to approach this this science. Um, <coughs> This is a science of hard work, not a, uh, we're a very comfort-loving, uh, sensual society. Is there anything wrong with that? No. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you attempt to apply it within the science, big trouble. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to climb Mount Everest, you know, and you want to bring a, a waterbed along, or have latte on the hillside, <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> it's, it's going to be an impediment. <laughs> See? So that, that comfort loving, you got to strip it down to what do I need for the journey? You know, you need good clothes, you need weather, knowledge of weather, you need good boots, you need good ropes. You know, you have to understand where you're going and prepare for where you're going. You know, you prepared for your job, you prepared for your family life. You have to prepare for your yoga life. It, 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 it is a, a way of living that has certain uh, dynamics and certain trials. Trials in it. There's a, there's a price of admission. So, just like you climb Mount Everest, there's a price to pay to make that journey. If you're looking at uh, yoga science, you're talking about the highest science of humanity, <laughs> the greatest beings of humanity. <laughs> you know, they make Einsteins look like, you know, children. <laughs> the great rishis of the past. You know, all the highest physics, chemistry, biology we know was just playthings to them. They had, they're far beyond mastery of those sciences, far beyond. The highest science is, is full understanding of consciousness, which physics and chemistry and biology are just mere tools, mere tools. See? So it, it's a massively grand experiment, massively grand journey. Is everybody fit to do it? Absolutely. Who does it? Those who are willing to pay the price, <laughs> pay the price of admission, do, do the work, you know, realize the value of it. So that's why I always tell people, st study, 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 study the lives of the saints. And then to critically say, was that of value? See, If it wasn't of value to, in your mind, then this journey is not useful for you now. You should be doing something else. You know, raise a family, you know, go to Tahoe, you know, do whatever you want. But if you could, if you read the life of a Gandhi or a Saint Francis, you know, or any of the other saints, hundreds and hundreds of saints, and you say, wow, that had meaning, that had purpose. They, they fulfilled a life, a life of meaning. Well, then that means you're, you're ready for yoga. You're ready to start the journey. And you learn the method and the uh, 
the vision, you know, from, from reading these biographies. And then you slowly, slowly, slowly in your own life start to apply the method and the vision in your circumstances, slowly. See? You know, a saint didn't become a saint in a day. And the, the great saying is, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. <laughs> so it means no matter where you are in your own personal evolution, you've got a future. You know, and in that future, you will become a saint at some time. It's a question of when. So these are some of the early statements that, that should be understood and heard. Everything is possible. In yoga, everything is possible. You just have to know how. How did Jesus walk on the water? Well, maybe you and I don't know how, but he knew how. See? <laughs> that's all that's important. He understood the science. It's not a miracle. He understood the science. It was just that simple. See? If you look at the saints of India, you know, walking on water is no big deal. You read all kinds of saints doing all kinds of, you know, what we would consider extraordinary things. It's, 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 it's extraordinary only because it's not common amongst the common. <laughs> See? If you read the saints of India or the saints all over the world, you know, miraculous healings, foreknowledge of events, you know, flying, all these kinds of things that we think are miraculous, if you read the lives of saints, become quite common. You know, become quite common. Mm -hmm. did, the, did the waters part and allow the Jews to cross, this, you know, out of land of Pharaoh? Yes. Was it extraordinary? Extraordinary to the common, but not to Moses. <laughs> See? Why? He knew the science. He, he simply knew the science, a higher science. You know, when a, if a Neanderthal looks up in the sky and sees a, a plane flying by, it's a miracle to him. <laughs> if you and I look up, we say it's a plane. We understand there's a certain amount of, you know, physics to it, certain aerodynamics to it. Plane's flying. But if we see a man flying through the air, we think, oh my God, how's that possible? <laughs> it's a, there's a science. It's just amongst us, at our level of understanding, it's a miracle. So, really, it's just, everything is just a different gradation of science. It's all sciences. So, it means everything is possible. Everything is possible. And especially if you have any kind of religious born in your body and say that, you know, God or if you have the notion of God, that God is infinite potentiality. And then you <clears throat> acknowledge that you're a component of that. Well, if you take a drop of the ocean, it seems to me it has the same chemistry as the rest of the ocean. <laughs> See, But one is full, one is part, but it has the same chemistry. See? So it has the same potentiality. It just has to realize itself. So, you know, that's where the yoga gets to be super fun. Um, and, and also, especially when you get next to a yoga master. Um, because at that point you realize everything is possible. You know, any kind of thing you wanted to understand, it's all possible. You have an opportunity to hear it 
and to know it firsthand. It, it becomes grand, grand fun. <clears throat> All the vistas are opened up. So, you know, that's the that's that's the thing. We, we don't think of yoga as this. That as this uh, dry science, it's it's not at all. Far more think of it as the most wondrous Marco Polo journey, the most wondrous Marco Polo journey. If you can, if you think about the yoga process like that, you're pretty much on track. You're pretty much on track. That that is really what it's like. So these are just like opening opening remarks. So that whether I see you again or don't see you, at least somebody told you the truth. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Because you'll hear far more nonsense in the spiritual yoga you know, world than, than accuracy. You know? So my fundamental sense of fair play wants everybody to have an, an honest, fair start. You know? That's all you want is an honest, fair start. Then you'll do fine. You'll do fine. But if somebody tells you a bunch of baloney, and then you proceed on that nonsense as if it's a fact, it's a real disservice. It's a real disservice. You know? Again, read the saints. The saints are honest, honest brokers. Read the scriptures. They're honest brokers. They're going to they're gonna tell you the truth whether you like it or not. It's up to you whether you accept it or not. But their job is just to tell the truth. See, they're not going to cater to your personality. They're just going to say, this is what it is. You know, just like a mathematical formula. This is what it is. You know, regardless of your history, your personality, it just lays out the formula. So, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll bring our spines erect. That way, simply, energy can flow smoothly. Take a deep breath in and then we'll chat on three times.
gently take a deep breath in. Release the breath. And uh, return to your common consciousness. Today we have a little bit of a difficult topic. <laughs> so I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> but I don't know why this topic came up, but it, 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 it came up. Uh, it's Yoga Tantra of uh, Compassion, which is actually a wonderful title. Great, great title. I love the title. But somewhat of a difficult subject to talk about and, and, and to try to discuss it in such a way that it has some uh, reasonable usefulness to you and uh, understanding. Maybe with something like this, uh, it's best to first, because I see so many new faces, just to uh, break down the words of the title so that we can get a, so we ha have a common starting point. Yeah. So if we uh, look at the word uh, yoga, yoga um, is to yoke together. And to take that understanding further, it's to yoke the finite to the infinite, the limited to the unlimited, see? The contained to the uncontained, the unknowing to the knowing, see? So that's what we mean by yoga. It's, it's, it's the process of full expression, not limited expression, full knowledge not limited knowledge. We all are sitting here with limited knowledge, limited expression. <laughs> Yoga is that bridge that takes you to full expression, to full knowledge. Uh, have any of us reached the full, our, our full potentiality in this room? No. no? <laughs> not today. <laughs> Working on it. So, all, all the time with yoga. Be ruthlessly honest. You don't have to be publicly honest. <laughs> but ruthlessly honest with yourself. <laughs> Doesn't have to be public. You don't have to put your business in the streets. Not necessary. <laughs> so that's the basic understanding of the word yoga. Uh, the word tantra. Please listen carefully to this because it's this term is vastly abused in Western culture, mm. vastly abused, ghettoized. <laughs> Tantra is the ability to see the sacred in all elements of life. In the ability to see the sacred or to experience the sacred in every element of life. That's what Tantra is. When I say every element, I mean every element in your cell, you know, in a blade of grass, in the wind, in a piece of carpet fiber, see, in everything, to be able to see the sacred, not in a philosophical way, but in a real way, to be able to experience the sacred in, in each element of life. Because everyone here basically has come out of a Judeo-Christian uh, 
background, I'll, I'll use some Judeo-Christian Christian ways of thinking and, and talking. So if you say God is infinite, and God is, is the all creator, creator of everything, what element of life is not sacred? <laughs> what element of life is not sacred? If it all came out of that, you know, blessed reality. Tantra is the science of understanding that. In a literal, personal, direct way, how every element is sacred. See? How every element has a seed of infinite reality hidden in everything. In the blade of grass. You know, in a hair on your head. See? In a stone. You know, in the body's waste material. It still all came out of the sacred. <laughs> so it, it's hidden there. <clears throat> the question is, do you see it or not? Or do you have a means of experiencing it or not? So Tantra is simply the science of experiencing the sacred in every element of life. See? That's what it is. <laughs> so the, the, when people say, Tantra, often in this culture, they think of human sexuality. Is there Tantra there? Yeah. But if you had the entire Library of Congress, that would be maybe even a, just a tiny part of a sentence in one book. See? It's just one tiny, tiny sentence in one book out of an infinite library. See? So can you see the disproportionality? And even with that one sentence, that even been abused, you know. Because if you look, if you look at tantra, even in human sexuality, it's it's not a, a crude understanding of pleasure for myself. It's saying, how is the divine present here? And there's multiple means of, of uh, approach, uh, respect, kindness, gentleness, patience, insight, warmth, loving kindness. Now you're talking about real tantra, tantra in human sexuality. <laughs> and that's just the beginning. Abandon all the nonsense that people that you hear, the books and the people that are talking. This is being barely, just purely honest. It's all rubbish. Entire, 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 entire rubbish. <laughs> Complete rubbish. Just abandon it. It'll get you nowhere. Yeah. So, yeah. pleasure's okay. God made pleasure, but in the context of God and pleasure. Kindness should be there. See? Sensitivity should be there. Respect should be there. See? See? Now you're starting to understand Tantra in a mature way. If you're looking at you know, human intimacy. See? You know, warmth, patience, insight. You know? Now you're starting to understand. You know? And to look deeply, deeply, deeply into that. You know, what is kindness? What is patience? You know, what is sensitivity? 
what is creativity? Now you're starting to talk about Tantra, the, the inroads into Tantra. And all of those lead you into it a universal experience of harmony, a universal experience of oneness, a universal experience of community, see, and a non-separation, a non-separation. The human intimacy is, 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 is not different or foreign from the same sensuality that you have when you smell a flower. Or you lie in the grass on a warm day. There's no difference at all. In, in, in real, our real life of Tantra, there's no difference at all. See? It's just a flow of expressions, a flow of experiences in which the, the garments of God are experienced in each element of life. See? Now you're starting to understand a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But it's in uh, we're, we're Tantra, we're trying to experience the sacred in all elements. So then, the last word, you know, what is this called? Um, what, what's the title? Is this Tantra yoga, yoga? Oh, Yoga Tantra of Compassion. Okay, that's also tough if we look at the word compassion because. We all sort of have cliff notes, you know, a very quick understanding of, of the words compassion. It's, it's sort of just, just like sort of a, a quick fun functional reference that we use because we're, we're not thinking so deep most of the time. We're sort of skating along the surface. But um, if you look at uh, compassion and... and, uh, and uh, are trying to really find out what that is, what the meaning of it is, what the experience of it is. You, you cannot separate compassion from true self-knowledge. You know, I don't think any of us have put that, those, those two things together, self-knowledge and compassion. But in deep yoga, you cannot separate the two. And then we have to say, okay, what is self-knowledge? In a conventional way, what we think about as self-knowledge is my name is Sally Joe or Bobby Smith, my parents are so-and-so, my history is so-and-so, my race is so-and-so, my culture is so-and-so. That's not really self-knowledge. That, that is your personal, egoic, slash personality history. But that's not really, really self-knowledge. So like when you go to sleep at night and you have a very vivid dream, is it, was it really real? Do you consider that part of your real history, part of your identity? Probably not. It's part of your experience, mm -hmm. but you don't really consider it as part of your identity. But if you say your name is Bobby Smith, my mother's name is so-and-so, I grew up in such and such a place, you assume that that's your real history, that that's, that's who I am. That's true in a conventional sense. It's not true in a yogic sense. When, they, when, I, when a yogi is speaking of self-knowledge, a yogi is more asking 
what are you and what is that? <laughs> what are you and what is that? They're not making a statement or a reference to your personal history. Your personal history from a yogic point of view is an is a extremely dynamic dream. An extremely dynamic dream. You're always generating. I, I think this. I like this. I don't like that. So, and, and when you perceive something, do you perceive all of it or do you perceive part of it? It's always partial perception. But you perceive it in the moment as, as real and as full. So everything that you're doing is, is part of your own generation. Because you'll perceive something and you're only perceiving part of it. And then you'll make judgments upon that. And then you'll function on those judgments as if they're real. Are they really real? No. We only had partial perception. We had judgment based on our history. My history is different than this person's history, than this person's history. So none of us seeing are seeing the same thing. Because even if we're all looking at one flower, we're referencing that flower from our personal history. We're not referencing the flower from a common, common place. We're all referencing it from a personal history. So an infinite variety of emotions and memories are going to arise in each person. So it's a dilemma. We're taking our personal dream history as if it's an absolute reality. So there's a problem there. If, 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 you're, if you're trying to find what you really are, you have to stop the dream. See? Jesus could fly in the air, walk on water, or feed infinite people from a few baskets. Because he realized it was a dream. You know, if you become lucid in your dreams, you can do all the same things. You can do all the same. You can fly through the air. You can feed the multitude from the baskets. So we're, we're captured in a very, very dynamic dream. But we don't know it. The great masters realize it's a dream so they can manipulate the dream reality. But we don't know that. We are absolutely convinced, you know, this is all really, 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 really real. So we're all in the process of extreme, <coughs> extreme dynamic creation. Extremely dynamic creation. So, if you look at the masters, regardless of the culture, regardless of the region, regardless of the religion, they all tell you to be silent, to be still. Why? Why? They're not, they, they weren't contacting each other. They're all in different regions, they're all of different ages, they're all of different religions. Why did they all tell you to be still? Because if you can dynamically still the mind, it means you dynamically still your very active creative process, your very active uh, creation process, your, your own creation. See, so everyone's looking up up here. You're all creating, oh, 
Who is this guy, guy Hari? You know, what is his history? Is this a madman or is this a guy who knows something? These are all perfectly reasonable things to be thinking. You know? <laughs> it's perfectly reasonable. You know, but, but it's a process of creating. You're sort of, each individual is a sort of an assembling, an, ass uh, an assumption of who this guy is. Each individual is doing that, consciously or unconsciously. And each individual is, 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 is creating that based on their histories and their perceptions. When, when you stop the creation process, it means you're, you're putting a, a pause on your dream creation. When you can put a pause on your creation of a dream, then there's a common reality going on. See? You, you, you stop dreaming and you can see beyond what you've projected. We're all involved in a mass projection, psychic projection. And the process of meditation allows us to temporarily step out of our dream bubble and see what's really going on. Not see what, what we've generated or what we've misperceived, but what's going on beyond the dream. <laughs> see? I know this is a little bit of a tough subject. <laughs> if it gets too dry, someone tell a very, a very good joke. <laughs> I'm sure I'll enjoy it also. You know? So, you'll find that this idea of compassion, again, it is a universal idea, a universal concept. And amongst the saints, a universal reality. Um, so, our idea of compassion and a saint's idea of compassion might be two radically different things because it's based on our experience. You know, my application of compassion may be different than a miser's application of compassion. You know? So, if you go very deep into the into yoga science, and you start to apply the tools of the trade. Tools of the trade in yoga science, prayer, mantra, meditation, reflection. Those are like tools of the trade. Those are, if, if you want to, to enter some kind of sanctified vision of reality. That, these are the things all the yogis use from all the cultures. One way or the other, they all use these things. So, in coming to a place of a deeper self-knowledge, compassion is inherent. So what I'm saying is compassion. Now, I'm not going to use the word human compassion. I'm just going to use the word compassion. Compassion is inherent to the human condition. Compassion is inherent to the human condition. See? Why is when a baby born, everybody wants to pick it up and hug it? They don't think about it, but they all want, everybody wants to pick it up and hug it. Everybody wants to pick it up and kiss it. It's, it's not conscious, it's unconscious. There's, an, there's a hidden seed of compassion that's just sort of vicariously being expressed. It didn't go through our thinking process. 
It just was there. It just was an arising phenomenon. You, know, you don't think, oh, I'm going to go over and pick up the baby. No, no, it's like, oh, you, you pick it up, you hold it, you know, you, you, you understand its inherent sweetness, and you kiss it, you know. Nobody thinks about it. It's just, you know, spontaneous arising of what, what's real. That is actually simply a, a vicarious expression of, of your real personality. Now, when we walk down the street, we don't have that experience with the people that we see. Why? Because now everybody that we see, it's, it's, our, our experience of them is being processed through our history, through our memories, through our psyche, through our biases. See? There's no longer a, a spontaneous arising. It, it, now it's highly processed perception. <laughs> so. I like this one. I'm sort of neutral to that one. I'm fearful of that one. There's no, oh, you're wonderful. I'm going to hug you. you know, which is what you experienced when you saw the child. This, this, so, according to the sages, compassion is part of your rudimentary self. It's part of who and what you are. Not your history. It's part of your being, your beingness. It's, it, it is part, it is an expression of your true identity. See? So if we can say to ourselves, and just being honest personally to each other, you know, how compassionate I am really as I walk through life? Not so much. Let's give us all a fair 3%. <laughs> you know, let's just say 3%. We say all of us, 3%. So... What about the other 97? <laughs> so that means 97% of ourselves is distant from, from what we really are. We're, we're functioning on an active 3%, you know, on a good day <laughs> when the sun is shining. <laughs> it's a cool breeze. <laughs> but uh, so this yoga tantra of compassion means there, there is a way to experience each element of life in a way that there's a unitive, joyous experience. There is a way, the yoga, yoga way. So you have these various uh, saints and rishis and masters and sages that are, that are out there that are writing books, that are giving talks, that are giving teachings, all this kind of stuff. We have to slowly um, get next to them to start to learn these sciences. This is not a one birth deal. So get over that. You know, I don't think Jesus became Jesus in one birth. I don't think Buddha became Buddha in one birth. I don't think any saint became a saint in one birth. This is a long thing. I mean, how long does it take to take a piece of coal and make it into a diamond? It takes a while. I think heaven probably applied the same formula. So I'm going to use a, a, a basic uh, a notion that there is such a thing as reincarnation and that that's a real deal. So that's one of my functional assumptions that I'm putting out there. That you don't become a diamond in a day. <laughs> Pretty tough. Pretty tough. 
but you do become a diamond over time, you know, birth after birth. So you can say, well, you can scratch my body, you know, uh, you can burn it, you can do all kinds of things, but can you can you scratch or make your consciousness bleed? I don't think so. And without your consciousness, is there any utility to the body? No. It's, it's your consciousness that gave any kind of facility or, or value to the body. Otherwise, it's just a piece of material lying there. It's, it's what's conscious that makes you valuable, you know, in terms of expression and experience. So if we're, if we're consciousness, and consciousness is something that can't be cut, can't be burned, can't be drowned, see, then it's a matter of birth after birth is sort of like consciousness changing clothes. See? Mm -hmm. We drop this you know, clod of clay off and pick up something fresh because this one got beat up over the course of 90 years. It's no longer utility. You can't use it. So we terminate this body of clothing. Consciousness moves on to the next body of clothing. See? So it can continue its experience. It can continue its quest of self-knowledge. To know what it really is. To go through every permutation of nature. To have full knowledge. See? So consciousness is, is a continuum. Not a limited phenomenon. So we, we, we practice these sciences of, of, of prayer, mantra, meditation, reflection, so that we can have true self-knowledge, so that we can have a, a true sense of universal compassion. Jesus had universal compassion. Buddha had universal compassion. Krishna had universal compassion. All the saints and sages and prophets, universal compassion. The whole process of yoga, we're all living in our own dynamic dream. Now the process of yoga is to make us a psychic rotation so that we can ask ourselves the question, when Buddha looked out into the world, when Jesus looked out into the world, when Krishna looked out into the world, what did they see? The whole process of yoga is to teach you how to see through the eyes of a saint. Which is another way of saying to teach you to see the eyes through the eyes of your true self. See? Not your historic self, but your fundamental true self. See? And, and to come to a recognition that all this is God. I mean, we're talking revolution here. This, this is revolutionary thinking. All this is precious. All this is conscious. All this is God. This is absolutely revolutionary thinking. We don't think like this normally. But in the quiet, deep reflection, internal, internal, internal awareness, you come to those personal, direct understandings that everything we see is, is really precious. Everything that we see one way or the other has some level of consciousness. It may be various gradations of consciousness, from a stone to a human. It's just different gradations of consciousness. And ultimately, all of this is God. 
You can see yourself as a cell in the body of God. It's a way of seeing yourself. If God is perfect, that, that means there's no junk in you. There may be misperception in you, but there's no junk. You know, how many of us are looking at ourselves, oh, I'm this way, I'm that way, and getting depressed over your own psychic issues? <laughs> Just think about it. God didn't make any junk. So whatever perception of junk you have is a misperception. And it's because you didn't quietly look deeply to see what you really are. You are concentrating on your faux history and not your real history. See? We're all caught up in our own dynamic dream. Some of them are horror stories. Some of them are adventure stories. Some of them are mixed. But it's your dream, your creation. See? How, how much you perceive, how you chose to interpret it. See? Meditation, mantra, prayer. Those are sciences that give you a way out. Give you a way out. See? We, we, your dream dynamics are not the, the rule of life. It's just stuff. But it's not, it's not the real physics of life. It's just stuff that you created. It's just stuff. So when you're sitting in meditation, you're not giving anything any validity. You're just looking at everything and seeing... Is this feeling, is this notion, is this idea, is this perception corruptible or incorruptible? If it's corruptible, it's just stuff. If it comes and goes, it's just stuff. It's not really, really real. See? If it's permanent, if it's stable, then it's real. But how many of your feelings are stable? How many of your thoughts are stable? That should be put in the category of stuff, which means don't put 100% of your psyche on saying that's so. See? You're validating a bunch of stuff that's not stable. You're 100% validating unstable stuff. That's a tough place to stand. It's a tough place to stand. Of course you're freaking out. <laughs> the earth beneath your feeder is unstable. Of course you're freaking out. That's normal. Yeah. Now, if you want to have a deeper, truer normal, then you find what's stable. So you, you do the practices of mantra, which are purifying, making you purifying. It's burning up stuff. See? You're saying prayers. The, fun, the most fundamental prayer is, God, give me a break. <laughs> One way or the other, that's our fundamental prayer. God, give me a break. You know, it's financial break, emotional break, physical break. You're asking for, give me a break. Nothing the matter with that. There's nothing the matter with that. You're asking for a little assistance, you know? Like AAA. Do we have any problem calling AAA? <laughs> we don't. You know, the saints are our AAA. You get stuck in a ditch, they come help you out. That's their job. So, is there any problem asking? No. If I get into a ditch, am I going to ask? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, prayer is there to give you a hand up. Hand up out of whatever pit you got yourself into. See? Meditation is there to give you clear vision. It's, most of our perception is, is through our, our, our very dynamic dream. 
Meditation is, is, to, is to put a pause on the dream to say what's really going on. See? Just like if we're all sitting in a theater, the lights go down, the theater comes up, the lights, you know, the movie comes on, and we're all looking at that. Is it real? No. Are we experiencing it as if it's real? Yeah. We're caught up in that adventure. When the lights go, when, when the film is over and the lights come up, we say, oh, yeah, I'm in this audience with all these people. Now we're actually starting to see what's really going on. That's what meditation does. Is it, it, it stops the dream process to see what the real conditions are. So this, this yoga tantra of, of compassion is a very uh, particular way of utilizing the tools, uh, the tools of yoga, yoga science. To have an experience after experience after experience of what is genuine, what is real, what is stable, what is true. Because it's a it's a frightening notion to think that most of the stuff in our head is baloney. <laughs> it's really frightening. That's why people don't do the higher practices. You know? Because your mother, your brother, your sister, and friend are validating your baloney. <laughs> So you feel sort of, okay, I'm good with that. It's a comfortable place to stand. Sort of. Sort of. Every human being has, a, is, has an innate angst in them. You're all born, we are all born with an angst. That angst is, is, is put there by God. Heaven doesn't want us to be too comfortable in our dream. That angst is there to make us look, to make us search, to make us question, to make us find out. If there was no psychic angst, we'd say, this is good, this is it. No more experimentation, no more questing, no more looking, no more questioning. The angst is in all of us to make us question, look, and find. See? Which means to break the dream. Eventually to break the dream. So slowly we sort of get out, get out, get out. Like, if you have a deep sea fish, does it have a notion of the word wet? Or the meaning of wet? If, if wet is ubiquitous, it thinks everything is like that. that you think that's the existence. It doesn't, it doesn't have any concept of wet. That's, that's the human condition. We're all caught in a ubiquitous dream. So we all think it's, this is it. This is reality. A fish can never dream of the sky. It's just not part of its reality. And if we're all caught in a very dynamic dream, and there's a vista of open consciousness without limitation, it's very hard for us to realize that that's such a, such a thing is so. If we're all caught up in our dynamic dimensional dream. See, infinite vistas, what are you talking about? You know, it's not so. It is so. It is so, and it is find-outable. Is this too complex and too weird? You know, this is... I mean, we're talking high stuff here today. But, uh... There is a way. You know, we, we're having this once-a-month meditation class um, over at the marina. Uh, that class is all is all tantric application. It's all, it's all tantric application. It's 
So if you, anybody's, you're all welcome to, to, to come and involve yourself in those things. Uh, just in general speaking, there's a two huge different terms uh, in Eastern psychology, and say Hindu, Hindu psychology, philosophy. One is the word Tantra, the other is the word Vedanta. These are massive philosophies and massive means and methods and visions of God, the reality, and approaches to the reality. Tantra is to be able to look at all of life as infinite elements of which the sacred is hidden within. That's the tantric point of view. The Vedantic point of view, which is equally valid, equally true, is that there is no separation. This is just all one reality. That's the, that's the Vedantic point of view, that there are no elements. It's just one absolute precious reality. That is absolutely true also. It's sort of like you have a road here and a road here. Each, from perspective here, the world looks this way. From the perspective here, the world looks that way. But they're all going to come to one common road, one common experience of, of infinite reality, of truth. They're both completely true. So if you're a Vedantic yogi or a Tantric yogi or use both modalities, it's okay. It's all true. It's not one way. There's infinite ways to find the truth. Infinite ways. So those are just so that you understand. All the elements, one sees elements and the sacred in the elements, one sees, no, this is just one thing, one expression, one breath of God. Yes? Can you explain a little bit more about the Vedantic point of view? Like, how, how does that look? Like, I mean, you explained it. Yeah, well, we can, we can break it down. Let's say, like, like a physicist will say, everything that you experience, everything in creation is just a body of energy. It's just a massive, infinite body of energy. It's one thing. It's just, that's perfectly accurate. That everything, even, even what we consider a vacuum, is still a form of energy. It's, it's all one energy. That's the Vedantic point of view. The Tantric point of view is to look at each element and find the infinite in the element. The other point of view is just to say, this is all the infinite. <laughs> this is all sacred. It's, it's not a billion different things. It's just an infinite body of energy, an infinite body of energy. So that's the Vedantic point of view. They're both absolutely correct. So the, the methodology in meditation may be, may be different. You know, there's, di there's different modes of meditation that you'll use to, to either to approach that reality through the Vedantic way or through the Tantric way. Both ways are perfectly valid. Yes? So it's not a free paradox. <laughs> and does that does that matter to ask? That? No, you can ask it. I don't know if I know the answer. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I know the answer. I just see them as uh, uh, both accurate realities. 
and it's really based on your um, disposition as to how you will approach the truth. So it's just to hold, it's a, a way of conceptualizing something exactly. that can't be conceptualized really. That Ultimately that's correct. Ultimately, yeah. It, it, it's the path to, not the solution. It's the process, it's, it's the formula, not the solution to the formula. Right. See? So, so the, the, thing, the thing is, you know, as, as human beings, let's, let's say it this way, as mature human beings, you want, you want to experience the greatest joy and the greatest understanding in life. And I, I preface the word mature, which means you also want everybody else to experience the greatest joy and the greatest insight in life. If, if, you have, if you have that notion, then you are really ready to, to start practicing some serious yoga. It's like you have a birthday party. Do you want to eat the cake by yourself, or do you want to share it with everybody? And do you want everybody to be happy and everybody to be satisfied? That's a yogi. Where you want everybody to have a piece of cake and everybody to be satisfied. There's no such thing. There's, in our bones, there's no such thing as hoarding. A real yogi's joy is seeing everybody prosper. Everybody healthy. Everybody whole. Everybody some sense of joy, some sense of completion. That's a, that's a real yogi. And, and from, from just a common human perspective, that's a more mature human being. See? So if, if we have that in our bones, where we just really have a sense of, of goodwill and a desire for all to prosper, then start to study the science. It means you've reached a, an, an evolutionary place of maturity where more and more the vision of the saints are manifesting in your consciousness. And then you have to go on this quest. It may take one birth, may take a hundred births, to find a, yogis, saints, you know, uh, dharma teachers, genuine ones, that can systematically take you through a series of experiments so that you become more and more aware of what you are, not what you think who you are. The more important question is what you are, what you really are. You know? Like when God manifests you, it's like what you are. As you sort of lived, lived your life process, you sort of, sort of created who you are. But well, we want to get back to what you are, and then what that fundamental expression is. See? So you, you, you start that process, you know, start studying the scriptures, you know, start studying the lives. Every saint that you can get your hands on. Start to read their biographies, so that you can get a heads up on, on what the real life is. It's, it's not this life of, you know, flowers dropping from heaven, and you know all this kind of stuff. We, we delude ourselves to think it's some kind of beautiful cakewalk. No. This earth is full of human beings with every level of consciousness, with every level of expression. So is it going to be a cakewalk? 
I don't think so. Just step outside the door. You know, some people are going to say hi, some people are going to ask you for your wallet or demand your wallet. <laughs> See? That's when you step out the door. That's, that's the world we're in. You know, some will be kind, some are not going to be kind. But um, what we can do in this process is learn how to stabilize our consciousness in such a way that there's not radical fluctuation. There's not constant fluctuation in regards to your experience. If, if you start to use the meditational practices or the yogic practices, you start to, to uh, reorient your consciousness to rest in what you are and express yourself from what you are. See? So, when Jesus was in his last days of crisis and eventually crucifixion, and in the process of crucifixion, you saw an expression of what he was. He wasn't talking about his history, I lived here, I did that, my mom's hit. No. In, the midst, in, in that crucible of crisis, you saw what he was. And he was expressing himself always from what he was. Not from his history, but from what he fundamentally was. See? Just, just a flow of sanctity, a flow of mercy, a flow of kindness, a flow of forgiveness, a flow of, of love, a flow of benevolence. That, that was what he was. See? So, that's, so he had settled himself into his true nature, and even in a crisis, the only thing that was expressed was his true nature, not, not his conventional experience. See? So in the yogic process, that's what we're trying for, is, is to be able to... Do we all have personalities? Yes. Are they all functional in the world? Yes. Is it all... Is it real? Not really. Not really. But can it be made a tool of sanctity? Absolutely. Could you say that again, that thing? Because <laughs> I'm struggling with the how you maintain, how you stay in touch with what you are and maintain the who that you have to have to negotiate through the world. The world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, the part of it, this, this comes through a mature insight via practice. Eventually, as you do enough mantra, as you do enough prayer, as you do enough meditation, you start to realize, this is my fundamental self. This is my beingness. This is what I am. You start to have a visceral, and that's where the word revelation comes from, to reveal. All these practices bring about revelation. It reveals what you, what you fundamentally are. And by the, by the constant practice, we get the habit of leaning back and residing in ourselves. See, we have the habit right now of, of, of experiencing the world through our personality. What the sacred practices do is lets us lean back to get comfortable to experience ourselves from our nature, not from a non-volatile place as opposed to a volatile place. I, I used, so the personality is volatile, meaning that it's in this constant state of change. It's a constant fluctuation, as opposed to moving back into a non-volatile state, which is your real self, that has very particular disposition. 
See? So Jesus is not up on the cross cursing anybody. If you put a personality up there, anything can come out of their mouth. <laughs> see? But so one is can function from their personality, the other can function from their essential reality. Jesus was functioning from his essential reality. You know, Gautama Buddha, uh, in his last days, um, ate some food that was tainted. He knew the food was tainted. He knew it was a, a form of poison, accidentally given to him. What did he choose to do? He chose to give a Dharma talk. He said, I have all of these souls around me. What is the most valuable, most loving, most potent thing to do? So a lot of times you'll see an image of Buddha lying down and giving a talk. That was his day of So his, his final action was a gift. Even though he, he could have said, oh, I'm going to run to the doctor like most of us would do. But he thought the most potent, the most valuable, the thing that would bring, bring the greatest good was me to give this Dharma talk. So even though the body was not physically fit to sit up and give a talk, he laid down like this. And from that position, gave a Dharma talk, because it was for the greatest good, an act of supreme compassion. See? It's because he was functioning from what he was, not his personality. See? But the personality can be purified. The, the personality should be made a tool or an instrument of the soul. See? It can be made an instrument of the soul. No problem. <laughs> if you meet the saints, and I've met many in my life, they all have own, their own unique personalities. They're all completely different. But what is common to them is a living sanctity that's present, that guides the actions of their personality. So whether they love you or, 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 or yell at you, it doesn't make any difference. Because they're doing whatever is necessary to move you to your next stage of evolution. Some people need a rose, some people need a fire. You know? Like if, if, you're, if you have a, a thoroughbred horse here and a donkey here, for a thoroughbred horse, if you know anything about uh, riding, just a flick of your wrist, the horse will immediately respond if it's a well-trained horse. Just a little flick of your wrist, it knows exactly. Or just a tap of your heel, immediately it knows what to do. That's not true of a donkey. <laughs> A donkey, you got it's got very thick skin. It's very stubborn. You can't just caress the donkey and it'll say, oh, I'll do it. No, no, no. You've got to use real manual effort. Give it a swat. You know, do whatever is necessary to make it take its next step. You know? And it's done out of compassion. You know? So, you know, some humans are like thoroughbreds, some humans are like donkeys. And there's humans in everywhere in between, you know. How thick is the skin? How thick is, how dense is their consciousness? You know, like in the Old Testament, you know, they talk about a fiery God, a vengeful God. But people's consciousness was thick. They needed, they needed to be scared to go in the right, you know, to be pushed in the right direction. You look at the, the New Testament, the, the concept is the God of love, God of compassion. Consciousness is different, so you can guide them with a flower. Before, you have to guide them with a stick. See? Both are valid. Both are valid. You know, both are leading them to some kind of sanctity. It's just this group needed this, this group needed that. The physician gives them the necessary medicine. See? Yeah. What do you think we need? 
Pauses to try to give you an answer that you won't be frightened of. <laughs> you know, really, every human being has to uh, pay the price of admission uh, to, to realize the opportunity. Like, really, whether it's the saints or genuine Dharma teachers, most people really don't recognize what they are, don't really see what they are. So it's really tough, you know. And the truth is, I hate to tell you, but it's true. Most people don't want God. I'm just going to tell you honestly. Most people don't want God. They don't. What most people want is comfort. <laughs> what most people want is lack of pain. And if you put the word God, it's going to give me some more comfort and some lack of pain. Oh, I'm, I'm a holy God, you know. I'm God all, all the time. It's not God, God, the real God. We need, you don't really want reality. What you really want is lack of pain and a certain measure of comfort. I'm just being honest. You know, just being honest. That's what people want. And it, and if you have that, if all of a sudden that could come to you, you'd say, I'm good to go. God who? See, God would become, ah, I'll catch you later. I'm, 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 I'm good. See? So, it's a little bit tough. When, you, when you're actually really seeking God, you're saying, I want to know absolutely what is true. And I, you're saying, I also want to know absolutely what is pure love. The unalloyed love. Not the human version of alloyed. Human version is highly alloyed. The trading, you give me this, I'll give you that, you know, all this kind of nonsense. You know. Jesus didn't say that. Buddha didn't say that. When you go to drink for a river, from a river, it doesn't say, well, you're so-and-so kind of person, I'll give you so much. No. The river says, take what you want. See? That's real love. That's real love. You know, it, it's giving it without judgment. It's giving it to fulfill you. It's giving it to enrich you. See? As where most of human love is a form of bargaining. You give me this, I'll give you that. See? I'm fearful of this, so give me some security. You know? I had a bad childhood, so please love me. You know? Come on, this is all rubbish. I hate to say it, I'm, the, I'm just being truthful. That, that's not real love. You know, that's, that's not the real deal. It's, it's just human. Not bad, it's just human stuff. You know? Real love is an, an unalloyed experience you know? that, that breaks all the conventionality, all the confinements of what we perceive as love. You know? So the word love is... is uh, like you hear people say, I love you. Well, stop for a minute. Do they really mean that? You know, if all of a sudden you're really, really broken, call them up and say, I'm really, really broken, you help me out. How many are you going to step forward? If you fall into a ditch, how many are you going to call into the mud with you to help you out? All of a sudden, they're not taking your call. 
But the other day they said, I love you. If you see a child fall in the Dutch ditch and the mother jump in right behind him, that's love. See? I'll tell you something about love. Take the word love and you take sacrifice and put an equal sign between them. See? Real love and sacrifice are the same thing. Maybe you've learned something. If, if you've only heard that, you've, you've learned something. Love and sacrifice are the same word. The same word in our in my life in yogic life. Okay. So again, this is you, you've come to a revolutionary class today. <laughs> this is sort of a scary, mind-blowing place. But that's the job of the teacher. The job of the teacher is to take your confined your, your confined consciousness and whack it with a hammer to break the shell. So that you're into a more expansive, you know, you're very comfortable in your conventional psychic shell. Why the teachers are scary is because they're supposed to whack it. They're supposed to destroy it. But it's it's the type of destruction where you're whacking the chains that are binding your hands and feet so that you're free. But when you see the teacher swinging the hammer, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're very worried. But the teacher is swinging the hammer out of compassion. They want to break the bonds, the psychic bonds, the emotional bonds, the physical bonds that you have, whether you're conscious or unconscious of it. All your hidden fears that sometimes you acknowledge and most times you don't, the teacher's job is to burn that house down so that you are really free, so you're psychically free, emotionally free, physically free, so that you have real expression, you have real control of your life, not bound by all your neuroses and all your fears. See? But that's what makes a teacher a little bit scary. <laughs> because we get comfortable with our boxes. We live in our boxes. And our friends are in their boxes. So it's a known. And the teacher's job is to move you from the known to the unknown to the greater known. <laughs> See? So it's a scary journey. So very few people get next to teachers. Unless you really, 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 really want to know. See? Most people, it's like, how you doing, Guruji? <laughs> and you're staying way back. You know, it's the most courageous souls that get next to them and stick with them. You know, because the Guruji is a fire pit. That's what their job is. They're a fire pit. And they're supposed to burn off all the baloney. See? They're a rendering process where you throw all the stuff in and it's only the gold that's taken out. The rest of the stuff is burned up in the process. See? So getting next to such souls is, is, is tough. So you, you, you know, that courage and that desire has, has to be there. You know? So that's why I say read the saints. You know? That way you can get the inspiration. Otherwise you're going to say, no way. I'm not getting next to that guy. You know? So I don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> I've probably said too much. <laughs> but, you know, my, my job is to tell the truth as best I can, you know, as kindly as I can, but sometimes the kindness is fierce. You know? So, that's why, you know, fall in love with Jesus. You know, fall in love with Buddha. You know, fall in love with Krishna. 
you know, fall in love with the saints, and then you'll start to follow them. That's the easiest way. Fall in love with the saints. Really. I'm in love with them. I'm absolutely top to bottom, every cell, in love with them. And that's why this is what I do. You know? And th then you'll do it. Because you'll see the value of it. You know? you'll, you'll see the value of it. And then, you'll, then you're willing to pay the price. And the price of true love is sacrifice. Okay? You know, the price of price of true no true knowledge you know is, is you have to be willing to jump into that that fire see most people are dabbling you know and most people in religion don't want God they want comfort they want security they want safety they're not really God see so that's why God is very merciful he gives you it gives you infinite births, infinite bodies, infinite opportunities to, to want to take it. And don't just think about it this way, bit by bit. That should be your philosophy. Each day I want you to learn to develop an element of, of divinity, of sanctity. I want to nurture it in myself so that you become, your, your life experience becomes much like a farmer or a gardener, where you're just nurturing qualities. You know? Mysticism is absolutely open to everybody. It's not for the few. I'm, and I can tell you for sure, this is something I know. Mysticism is open to everybody. You just have to involve yourself in the process. That's it. And, and be honest, work hard. And it will happen. Heaven wants to show you all of its infinite realities, all of its infinite mercies, all of its infinite joys. Heaven really wants to show it to you. The question is, do you really want to see it? See? You're otherwise distracted. That's the human condition. Distracted. Why did Jesus say, let thy eye be single? He wasn't joking. Let thy eye be single. See? He's not joking. Yes? If human beings saw all the wonders, yeah. is it... Is it but what keeps them from seeing that? Is it their fears? Yeah, them? it is. Primarily, it's human fears. We, we, we want to be comfortable, you know... We want to be accepted. We want to be loved, but it's in a very conventional way. Mm -hmm. And and really, you're talking about the supra reality, mm -hmm. as opposed to a common temporal condition. And the problem is, we're all supported by the common temporal condition. We all know that. The supra reality, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So this is the known. This is the unknown. Which is which feels more safe? You know, what feels more safe is the common known, not the supra-unknown. Remember, comfort-loving gets a little hot on the way up. But I guess it's safe because we just... Because it's known. Because it's known. It's known. Wow. Your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend are all confirming it. Uh. See? Now, are you willing to say, goodbye, mommy, goodbye, lover, goodbye, friends? Are you willing to say that and take this journey? Are you willing to do that? That's the thing. You don't have to physically do it, but psychically you do. See, psychically you do. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It means you're not going to stay in the same pit of delusion. You should think of it this way. We're all wrapped up in this big pit of delusion. I'm going to get out, and I'm going to come back and help. <laughs> See?
I want my mother, my brother, my sister, and friend to have the full body of love, the full body of security. If I can get out of this net, I can come back and help them get that. See? So it's an act of supreme mercy, supreme compassion to get out of the delusion, to temporarily leave the ones that you love so that you can acquire a freedom and then try to bring back that mercy to them. See? Deep insight, deep courage to do that. But you have to get out. You have to free yourself before you can free somebody else. See? If you really, really love them, get out and then come back for them. See? But don't stay in the same pit. They don't know they're trapped. They don't know. If you have a bird, a bird in a cage and it's grown up in a cage, does it know it's trapped? It doesn't realize it's trapped. It has no concept of that. It knows the confines of the cage. Food comes, people wave at it. It sings. It doesn't know. It doesn't know it's in the trap. That's the human condition. We don't realize we're in a trap. You know? So And I like my cage. That's right. It's it's good. It's good. It works. It works for me, you know. So they they don't know the freedom of of a wild bird. They only know the condition of a caged bird. And that's, that is the human condition. We know the condition of a caged bird. We don't know the ones that fly. The saints are the ones who got out. You see? So, it's up to us what we want to do. You know, and how, and how we go about it. But you just get next to some real teachers that can give you real knowledge, real process. But really, study, study, study saints, the lives of the saints. You know, why did they, why did they risk their lives? You know, why did they risk their social position? Why did they risk their wealth? You know, St. Francis came from a wealthy family. Father was a wealthy merchant. You know, he, he had a life of, of privilege. And he embraced a life of, of complete um, um, removal standing aside from all wealth, you know, whether it's food or clothing or shelter, he abandoned all of it. He abandoned it for sanctity. See? Did his mother, brother, sister, friend realize what that was? No. Did some of them come around later on? Yes. But in the beginning, nobody understood. They thought he was mad, actually. They thought he was mad. He was divinely mad. You know, one of his great, great, great saints, Saint Francis. So there's a there's a price to pay, but approach it. Don't think you have to become a Francis in one birth. No problem. Just do bit by bit. Just increase your kindness, increase your thoughtfulness, increase your your self, your deep self awareness. That's all you have to do, bit by bit, and then heaven will show you all kinds of wonders along the way to encourage you. Heaven's not going to leave you out, you know, flapping in the wind by yourself. There'll be all types of encouragements, or encouragements that will manifest in your life to, to validate that you're on the right path. You know, whether you see mystic wonders or wonderful souls will come, come into your life, they'll all show up to validate. You don't got to go looking for the saints. As you do the process, they'll show up. I guarantee you, they will show up. See? 
So this is this is what this is what you have to uh, think about. You know, compassion is part of the body of what you are. It is just who you are. It's the tantra that allows you to to find methodologies to realize that. See. I, I want to ask a question that, that sure. I don't want to ask. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Take the shot. Wrong. <laughs> um, I'm in my finite way of thinking to move towards the core we all possess of love. Yes. Means the choice to move towards pain. That's my concept of sacrifice. And I know that that brings up fear mm -hmm. and the loss of what I'm used to thinking of as the ground of certainty, mm -hmm. that, that known idea of myself. So what you're saying, read the saints, um, I guess I'm, I'm like trying to remember what I felt like when I was this age, when I was little. I, I wasn't afraid. Right. And I was, I feel like I was much more loving and I learned from the earth and, but I, I don't know how to, I don't, how to get I back. I don't know how to go back. It, it's, it feels, and I know this is the part I don't want to say, it feels self-destructive. And maybe that is exactly what it is, self-destruction of my idea of self. To go towards pain and sacrifice, and, and that to me, in my intellectual world, doesn't make sense that that goes towards love. Okay. So that, that's that, just trying to come from beyond my thinking to the real fear. Yeah, and, and everything that you said is really good and really interesting and really should be put on the table. Uh, you don't have to equate uh, sacrifice and pain. So that's an, you're, you're putting those two together. Yes, I am. And I'm admitting it. No, yeah, which is good. <laughs> and, and that's necessary. Yeah. But they don't have to be that way. Yeah. Sacrifice and pain don't have to be that way. That's why you got to get next to skilled yogis because there's a million ways to do things. You know, mm -hmm. is there a painful way to do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is there a less traumatic ways of doing it? Yeah. And it's, it's like, you just got to know how, you know, you don't got to walk on a bed of nails. It's not necessary. That's what I mean. Yeah. There's, there's, there's many other ways. So you really, the, the law of displacement comes in here where you don't have to root out every little difficulty. What you have to do is find something really positive that is opposite and amplify that. And as you amplify that, it takes up the space of the other thing that wasn't working, that was, wasn't so good. So the law of displacement is really helpful. Sacrifice is sacrifice, but sacrifice is not pain. It, it's painful when you feel there's a deficit. Mm -hmm. But if you're filling, if you're sacrificing and filling that with something else, that is more enriching, more stable, more joyful, not so bad. And then it's not a getting rid of, really. No, it's, 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 it's just different and it's self-enriching. And you're just letting go of what's not so necessary. You're, you're, you're letting go of various gradations of limitations. You know, you're, you're moving, you're, you're embracing 
more expansive means as opposed to embracing more limiting means. See? And it sometimes there is little fear because sometimes it's it's a sort of a state of unknowing. But that's why the Dharma teachers are there. Because the Dharma teachers are there to say, I live just like you. I hurt just like you. But this is what I've seen and let me show it to you. So a lot of times you're like, my, like my Guruji would say, Hari, I want you to do this practice or that practice. And I'm thinking, whoa, I don't know about that. But then I'd look at my Guruji and say, wait a minute. He's loving, he's smiling, he's present. He went through all those things and he's loving, smiling, and present. Okay. So I, all of a sudden I took the courage and said, okay, he survived it, I'll survive it. You know? But sometimes it, it seemed very daunting. It seemed very daunting. But I sit him seeing this, sitting there eating and smiling and full of joy. Oh, wait a minute. How bad could it be? You know? <laughs> so I went and did that body of practices. <coughs> you know, that's that's how it is. That, that's why the high forms of yoga, not possible to do without a teacher. Not possible. You won't have the courage. It, it, it takes that that leap of faith that a teacher will stand with you. That a teacher will protect you. And that is their job. You know. Um, to, 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 to sort of guide you through expansions of consciousness where otherwise we'd feel, oh, it's too much for me. You know, but it's too, what it is, is too much for your limited con self of, sense of self. See, it's, it's, it's a breaking up of your limited sense of self. You know, and while that breaking up process is occurring, it's like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with this. But it is, you are a grander vision, a grander reality. So it's an observation of that fear, but not a feeling of that fear. And so yeah, you're aware of it. If, if the bird is in the cage and the Guruji comes and opens up the bird cage door, it doesn't want to get out. So the Guruji reaches in and takes it out. Now, all of a sudden the bird is seeing the advanced, expansive sky. It's terrified. <laughs> it's absolutely terrified. But the Guruji will say, it's okay, fly, I'll stand here and wait. You can come back and land in my pond. You know? Then you can, you can live in that cage and then go out whenever you want. We're going to take the door off. See? But the first flight out is terrifying because you're breaking the norm. You're breaking the known. See? It's terrifying. Is it liberating? Yes. Is it terrifying? Yes. The Guruji will, the Guruji is like the anchor. The Guruji will say, I will stand with you. And there, when, when the Guruji says that, that's no joke. Because the Guruji is making that statement before God and is absolutely accountable. It's no joke from our side. It's no joke at all. 100% accountability. No place to hide. So the, 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 the teacher is making a pledge that they will help you, you know. Not, not they'll help you because they want to help you. They'll help you for the glory of God. That's why they'll help you, for the glory of God. They'll help you. It's not, a, it's not personal, really. It's for the glory of God that, that a soul will experience its full reality, its full, its full expressed self. See? Wanting everybody to have a piece of cake. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a, it's a journey. It's, but 
it's a grand, grand Marco Polo journey. And, and every person who goes into deep yoga will see all kinds of wonder, all kinds of forms of wonderfulness, all forms of mysticism. It's normal. It's not normal if you live in a box, but it is certainly normal if you can step out of the box. It's certainly absolutely normal. See? You have to take the commitment, you know, that, that your love of sanctity has to be greater than your fear of limitation. Your love of sanctity has to be greater than your fear of limitation. It's, it's, we're holding the earth, and God is saying you can fly. But we're like saying, I don't know about that. I do know about this. <laughs> so we hang on. And the Guruji is saying, gently let go. Say, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Shiramajirava. All of that is learning to let go. And then, 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 the, then the normal alchemy of God will happen. Your ego is holding on. And then the, the Guruji is saying, let go, bit by bit, let go. So there's all kinds of different experiments to loosen your grip. See? And the Guruji will stay present. You know, the mantra is constant, the teacher is constant. See? And then bit by bit, they want you to have a personal, direct, intuitive experience of God. See? And when we say the word intuitive, not, we're not using the word like conventionally. We use it from a yogic perspective. perspective. Intuition in the yogic terminology is a means of direct knowing without the necessity of validation. A means of knowing without the necessity of validation. You just absolutely know. That's it. It, it's, it's, it's actually a psychic facility. See? That, that, that facility opens up as a person approaches Agnya chakra. Third eye. There's all these different chakras in the body. Seven of them are, are generally talked about, but there are many, many more. But as each, each, as each chakra becomes fully functional, various bodies of experience mysticism occurs. That's quite natural. You just have to learn the science. It, it's, from my perspective, this is not rocket science. It's much more to know a method and to be ruthlessly um, <clears throat> determined to, to apply it. You know, not haphazardly, daily, so that you can gently open the door. You know, normally, naturally, healthily, in a healthy way. And then each one blossoms. Body of experience. Next one blossoms. Body of experience. Next one blossoms. Body of experience. Each one is different gradations and different natures of harmony will manifest in the human condition. You you will directly personally experience it. If if somebody says to me maybe and they're involved in the yogic process inside I might keep a straight face inside I'm laughing like you're an idiot. <laughs> That's what I'm saying because this is the process of knowing, not guessing. This is the process of knowing. If you do the practices, you will know. If you don't, you're just guessing. If you're talking, you're just guessing. You know, from the teacher's side, you know, we're serving God. You know, we're not trying to serve ourselves. We're not trying to get rich. We're not trying to have sex. We're not trying to all that baloney. Oh, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's just a bunch of nonsense. You know, our job is to do something for the glory of God, to help lift 
to help inform, to help inspire for the glory of God. That's it. That's it. You know? I don't want to talk too much. No, no, it's, it's really good. Because maybe you'll inspire um, others to ask questions. I, I'm not uh, I'm not Christian, so I... I'm not I Christian. I'm a good Hindu boy. By, exactly. <laughs> I get confused by glory of God. I, I, well, that's just, that's just one form of nomenclature. You can use your own words. Yeah. You know, you know... You, you, if you were to if say in your own language, the joy of sanctity... How would you say it? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you can take that concept of the joy of sanctity and put it in your own language. And it's equally as good to anything I have to say. It's equally as valid. See? You don't have to use my language, but the concept. Understand the consciousness, the, 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 the terminology, the um, concept. Thank you, that's the word I was looking for, concept. And then put it, put it in your own language. Well, I know that's the language of this culture. I mean, yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Whether you're Buddhist or Christian or Muslim or Jew, Native American, who cares? Just get that, that, that concept down and put it in your own language. You know? And that's, and that's just fine. That's equally as valid. Absolutely equally as valid. You know? It's the application of the science that you can't play with. The science is the science. It's like mathematics. It's an absolute science. You can't play with that. But, you know, so there's various means of entering into silence. But isn't the silence in you the same silence in China, same silence in Nova Scotia? It's the same, it's the same experience, see? So however you get into the experience, it's valid. However you get into that experience, that's a form of yoga. But you must get into that experience for you to learn the dynamics of silence, the nature of silence. Okay? People think of silence as vacant. That's really ridiculous. That's really ridiculous. Silence is, is, is just an, another, uh, another dimension of experience. It's another medium of experience. See? There's no vacancy in silence. It's just different. It's a different dimension. So we're used to constant psychic movement. That's what we're used to. That's not what all there is. That's just what we're used to. So there's other dimensions. And as you apply the yogic sciences, heaven will slowly bring you from dimension, 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 so that you realize, whoa, you, you, get, you get really mentally shocked. You, when you actually start to realize, holy mackerel, most of what I know is baloney, and I've been living in a box. That's a really revolutionary experience. That, that will jar you to your bones when you realize most of what you know is baloney, and I've been living in a box. That will, that will shake you to your bones. And all of my friends and family are living in the same box. You know, it's like, sometimes people, when they have that kind of revelation, they retreat back into the box, and some people do the opposite, say, I want to get out of the box. See? Both are okay. Both, are, both, both, which way, which, whichever one you choose, it's okay. I'm best saying, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. Any other, okay. Any other thoughts, questions? I know today was a very deep, you know, uh,
a fiery day. Don't think it always has to. You laugh as much as you think hard in this science. It's as much fun as, you know, deep, you know, scary thoughts, you know. How are you still laughing? How are you still smiling? You know, no, no difference, you know. But the difference between a guy like me and another person is if I'm in a box, I know I'm in a box. And if what's in my head is a bunch of baloney, I know that. And I, and I also know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that's beyond baloney. That is wonderful. That is wondrous. You know. And the average person dies with a little sense of fear, like, I don't know if I'm falling into an abyss. Thing. As were yogis, not at all. Zero fear of death. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. You know, because you realize that consciousness, that it, it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. But the average person hasn't been placed in a position to realize it's nonsense yet. So they're afraid. See? But all that can be abandoned. The whole angst with death can be 100% abandoned. It's just you haven't put yourself in a situation to see that, that you really are not mortal. You know? this, this human experience is just one page in a very long book that your experience, that your consciousness is flowing through. See? And it's, if you identify with, it's like a hoarder identifying with their clothes or their, their stuff. If you try to take any of this stuff, they're freaking out. Mm -hmm. This body is just part of the stuff. If you're identifying with this is what it is, well, of course you're going to be freaked out. But if you realize that, and, and you can really understand it, if you can really embody that you're, you're a consciousness wearing this garment, the garment doesn't become a big deal. See, But you have to get yourself into a place where you really, really, really experience that this is really, really just a garment, you know. That there is no annihilation to you. It's not, that's not possible. It's not possible. But you don't know it. Right now, that's a theoretical statement. If you do your practices, it'll become a reality, and you'll see how it's a reality. You'll know it. See? So. Too heavy? Good. <laughs> good. You're very courageous. <laughs> That's good. This business needs courage. Without it, forget it. Yeah. Without it, go get a latte. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Come back when you have some fire in your belly. You know? So, any other closing thoughts? Oh, yes, ma'am. I really appreciated how you opened this morning talking about how mantra is about purification. Yeah, it's a form of alchemy. Yeah. Can you speak just a little bit more about my experience has been it seems as though mantras wear out their time or their purpose. There comes a time where I can sit down with a new mantra and feel feel such a beautiful mm -hmm. alchemy happening. Mm -hmm. And then maybe seven years later I can't resonate, this, my bell doesn't resonate the same way with the same yeah. mantra anymore. And I find that I have to, a new teacher, a new mantra will come into my awareness through grace and I find that I have to begin with a different mantra. Yeah. Can you speak to why that happens? Yep, I certainly can. 
See, here's a, what you're saying is very genuine. Very genuine. It's not accurate, but it's, it's a genuine ex human experience. Um, oh, wait, Ram Krishna, Ram Krishna. This is a very common phenomenon that's occurring here and somewhat of a, uh, an error in the process. You're allowing your egoic idea, personality, ego, to trump the uh, mantra. The human mind cannot, cannot um, completely comprehend mantra. It really can't. It's outside of our box. It's more than what we are. By, by constantly practicing mantra, one of the phenomena that can arise is boredom. And boredom can arise because of judgment. See, That's all within the box of the human personality. See, Mantra, the human personality or ego, it's, it's like the, the mantra is virtually an iceberg of which we only see the tip of. So our personality and our ego is judging the tip of the iceberg and can't see the vast, mountainous, hidden expanse that is below. So we're, we're, we're judging it. Not correct practice. I hate to say it, not correct practice. You have, you have to do this. Say... Such and such a saint has uttered this mantra. That saint was a vessel of the kingdom. That mantra that was given as a grace of God through that saint is an infinite mercy of God, an unbound, an unbound loving alchemy of God beyond the nature of my mind. See? See, you're using your mind to judge you know, an iceberg, and the mind can only perceive what's visible. See? So this comes under the arrogance of man. Now I'm not talking about this lady in particular, I'm talking about all of us. We're, we're making a judgment on what is known, and we don't know all of what is unknown. So if I hold up a mala, and you say, oh, that mala oh, is maybe worth 10 bucks, but really that mala, each one of those beads is worth a million dollars. You don't know that. You look at it and think, oh, it's $10 for the mala. So you value it as a $10 item. So occasionally you say, you know what, is $10 not that important? I'll get a new one, a shinier one, a better one. Big mistake. Big, big, big mistake. Your perception cannot value the mantra. So that's why I said earlier, you have to proceed with the mantra whether you understand it or don't understand it. You have to become saturated in the mantra, and you have to let the mantra fulfill its full alchemy beyond your judgment. See? The only time you can make a true judgment of the value of the mantra or the potency of the mantra is if you acquire the same level of psychic sanctity that that sage had that brought it forth. Until you acquire that same level of sanctified insight, of God experience, you cannot judge the mantra. It could seem like absolutely nothing is happening, but an infinite amount of activity is happening. It's just it's beyond your 
ability of awareness. See? So, so it's functioning whether you understand it or not. It's functioning whether you're bored or not. It's functioning whether you're excited or not. It's really functioning beyond your level of personal experience. It's still doing its thing, and you're doing your thing, and they're not the same. So, so you, you just continue on, and that's why, the, that's why the guru is really, really important. Because when we make a judgment, and it's a faulty judgment just based on our, our, our human condition, so we say, hey, this process is not working, I'll, I'll try this process, or, oh, this process is really good. You're not in the position to judge any of it. You're not in the position to judge any of it. You have to have absolute reliance on the saints. Let them be the arbiters of what's good for you and what's not good for you. See? Then, then you're practicing with a, a deeper insight, a deeper yogic maturity. See? Once, once the saints and the rishis say, this is a sanctified process, we can know, as human beings, which we all are, with all our limitations, we, we are no longer in the position to judge the alchemy. The alchemy is, beyond the hu is functioning beyond the human condition. We're still bound in the human condition. So we, you know, that's why gurus become disposable, mantras become disposable, forms of meditation become disposable, and all of that is based on our human inadequate egos. So this mantra, is not, this, this guruji is not exciting me anymore. It was very exciting when I first got here, but eh, not so much. It's now boring. So they jumped to the next teacher. This is common. This happens every day in, in, the, in, in, in life. Find a real teacher. Find a real deal. And then work hard. You know, half the instructions my guruji gave me, I had no understanding. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. But... I had un what I understood was this this master, my master, this is the real deal. He's the real deal. Whatever he tells me, whether I understand it or not, I'm gonna do it. Would he say, Hari, read this book? I'm reading the book. Whether I'm interested in it or not, I'm gonna read it. Hari, do this practice. I'm gonna do it whether I'm interested or not. There were some practices, Hari, you know, this I, me I remember one uh, you know, yogic practice he gave me. Um, learning to hear all the internal mystical sounds and stuff like this. That was really tough in the beginning. It, uh, uh, the analogy I'll give you, it's like saying, Hey, Hari, see that mountain over there? Yes, Guruji. Here's a teaspoon. Thank you, Guruji. And he said, Now go dig a tunnel to the other, other side. What, Guruji? <laughs> yes, Guruji. I mean, re really. Every day I did the practice, I really felt like I was just scraping, you know, this granite wall with a teaspoon, thinking, am I ever going to do this? Am I ever going to get through? Does this have any possible meaning? I really, I'm telling you honestly how I felt. You know, just every day I'd show up at the mountain and scrape my little spoon on the, on the granite wall, you know. It went on like that months and months, and I mean, it's like, <laughs> utter boredom, utter hurry, just scraping a little, okay. <laughs> thinking, what the heck am I doing? The only reason I showed up every day to scrape the wall with the spoon was because my Guruji told me. That's the only reason I showed up. I had no understanding. I had no interest. It was not fun. It was ruthlessly boring. 
It was it really was all those things. <laughs> but because of my understanding of my Guruji is only gonna tell me things that that are going to be good for me. I showed up with my little spoon and I scraped the wall. And then as over months, I mean time just went by, just dragged by. Eventually this thing would happen, and then this experience would happen. And that and I'm still thinking, I'm gonna die in this cave, scraping this stupid wall. All of a sudden one day I show up. I'm scraping the wall like I've done for months and months and months, and boom, all of a sudden I'm on the other side. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely couldn't believe it. You know, I thought I had a little life of scraping that silly wall. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, experiences occur that average human beings cannot conceptualize. It's, it's not within normal human beings' conceptualization. And the only reason those things happen <coughs> is because... I had complete faith in the Guru and did what I considered completely boring, completely useless, completely... I didn't understand anything about what I was doing. But what I did understand is I understood exactly what he said. Whatever he said, I did exactly what he said. I didn't change it to be comfortable. I didn't change the duration. You know, whatever he said, every detail of what he said, I applied when I showed up. And I, I received the results of that. I could not in any way judge it. You know, it, it just was beyond me. If I did, I would have abandoned that practice 100% and felt validated. See? But I said, because of my relationship with my master, I just knew whatever he said was good for me, so I'm just going to do it. So, so it's a type of crazy faith you have to get, you know? where you just go, 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 and just say, if I die here, I'm good with that. You really have to get to that point. If I die here, I'm good with that, because I know whatever, whatever is happening here, it's good, whether I understand it or not. So, same thing. When a real teacher gives you a mala, or a practice, do it. But you have to do some due diligence to say, is this an authentic teacher? There's a lot of very charismatic people, you know, who has charming personalities and things like that. Um, uh, and they have a lot of book knowledge and a little bit of practice. And they try to be teachers. They are woefully unfit. Sometimes they know they're woefully unfit, and sometimes they don't know that they're woefully unfit. Many times they're innocently ignorant. They think that they're accomplished. And they're, woe, from our perspective, woefully unfit. You know? So... But that's why real teachers say, read the lives of saints, read the scriptures, so that you get a body of understanding, a body of knowledge, a body of watching other people's experiments, seeing them go through failure, seeing them go through success, seeing them going through fears. You get real understanding, because that's a real heads up on what your journey is going to be. It's not, it's not just this cakewalk. It's not, I always understand. It's not, I always can judge what's right. You don't. You, you, you need the teacher who, who, who has gone that route already and knows it's a valid route. And he knows that, he or she knows that you're not going to understand every step, but over time you'll understand. And over time you'll become fit to understand. In the beginning, you're often not fit to understand. See? See, like these little children, wonderful, capable. But they don't know yet the beauty of literature. 
Are they capable of understanding that? Yes, when they're ready. See, right now, are they ready? No. Are they reading a little bit? Yes. But they don't know the wonderful beauty of literature yet. Beauty of poetry, literature, all that. They don't know. And that's how we are. The teacher has already done, read that library, already absorbed that library. The student hasn't yet. So they, they, the student honestly doesn't know and honestly can't judge. It's all honest. See? So because we're being, as individual, completely honest, honest we sort of validate that be, I'm being honest, so it must be right. No. <laughs> no. Just because you're being honest 100% about your intellect and your feeling doesn't mean you're right. See? You have to have someone who's made the journey, who can tell you what is so and what is not so. See? So, what you're saying is, is, is really good because it helps to bring out a teaching. A very difficult teaching, but a very necessary teaching. You know? So you read the saints, find out what the honest practices are. You know, the valid practices. And then the teacher is there to help you implement the practice. The body and body teacher. They're there to help you implement the practices. But all those practices will be able to be found in scriptures. Every one of them. Every one of them will be able to be validated in scriptures. See? There's no such thing as a teacher working outside of that. That's the guidebook for all teachers. There, the, our business is not a do-your-own-thing business. Forget that. That's, that's nonsense. That's rubbish. If any teacher is trying to do that, run. Get out the door. Get out the window. Run. They're just, they're just taking you on their trip. You know, that's what they're doing. They're taking you on their trip. You, you, everything a teacher has to say has to be validated somewhere in the scriptures. It has to be there. We're, we're not allowed to work outside the manual. You know, that's the way it is. So, we're, and also, we're not allowed to experiment on you. No way. We're not allowed to do that. That's a sin. And we're held big time accountable. We can't do that. You know? You're God's child. We can't, we can't monkey around with that. You're God's child. You know? We can't abuse that. You know? We're just as a simple caretaker to help you along. You know, we any real teacher has to realize this is God's child. So how are you going to take care of them? It's like the king's daughter. <laughs> are you going to be like, I'll do what I want? No, no, no. You're accountable. See, that that's real, real teachers. Real teachers are accountable, and that's why you have the guru masters. They they culture the new Dharma teachers coming along to understand your responsibilities and your obligations and, and done for the joy of God, not done for our interests or whatever, you know. That's why the whole guru-disciple relationship has always been there, always been there. It's, it's a quality control methodology. That's really what it is. You know, you, there's no such thing as a real Dharma teacher doing their own thing. That's just not possible. That's not possible. Not if you're the real deal. So, and the, the, the teacher's job, just like if the teacher teaches you how to ride a bicycle, then you're free, you know? You have no obligation. You, you, they, they've taught you a means of freedom. 
Go experience the world. You know? They can't say just ride on this road. No, no, no. Go, go experience the road. They may say don't ride in traffic as a suggestion. You know, don't go ride on the highway. But they, they, they won't demand anything of you. They'll, they'll say, this, you're now free to do what you want. This is safe. This is not safe. God bless you. Good luck. That's it. No. We don't say don't go to Rome. If you want to go to Rome, go to Rome. Fine. Just, you know, do it in a sensible way. Don't put yourself at hazard. You know, you're a precious child of God. Don't, don't put yourself at hazard. That's the real teacher's point of view. They're just going to say what's, what's loving, kind, and safe for you. You know, because they realize you're a child of God. <laughs> That's it. Any other thoughts, questions? Sort of deep. Today is sort of deep diving day. You know? <laughs> and then there's many, many methodologies to realize these things. And you you're, you're all have the potential to do it. It's not, it's not extraordinary. Most people don't succeed. One, because they monkey around with the practices. They make the practices what's comfortable to them. So that's like changing the formula. So not gonna, it's not going to work. You know, you can't do it to your convenience. You have to fulfill the criteria of the, of the experiment. You have to fulfill the criteria of the experiment. Then everything happens. You know, so you, you just have to be an honest practitioner. Do the work, do the work regularly, and do the work honestly. And, and always the opinion of the saints trump your opinion. That's why I say read the saints, read the saints. Don't think your opinion can trump their opinion. Oh, I read this book, the saints said this. I don't think that's right. <coughs> that's what the average person thinks. They think that they can judge the opinions of the saints. That means that they're putting their little ego higher than the saints. Is that reasonable? It's not reasonable. You may not like what the saint says, but have the humility to say, I don't understand what he means. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to do that because I don't understand it. That's one thing. But another thing is say, I'm not going to do that because I think he's wrong. No, no, no. See, can you see where the ego sneaks in and tries to trump? You know, so that's why I say, find some saints that you know. That is definitely something of God that you have, that you bow down to, that you have humility before. And then never try to trump their opinion. Don't think that you know more than them. They're your elder and simply understand that. You know, we don't like to be obedient. We want to do our own thing. Well, good luck. That's why we're on the earth. Look what we're doing. How many wars are going on? How many famines are going on? That's, that's us. That's all on us. God didn't do it. That's all on us. See? So find someone that means something, some saint that means something. Be humble, be obedient, and be active. It'll all happen. And not only will it all happen, but you'll have unbelievable joy, unbelievable insight, unbelievable fun. You won't believe it, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. You know? Will you be able to explain it to anybody? Probably not. <laughs> will you enjoy it personally? Yes. <laughs> See? You know? The first thing my Guruji told me, one of the first things, maybe in the first two weeks of living in the ashram, Hari, don't tell anybody about your inner life. They'll be jealous. It'll cause problems. <laughs> first thing he told me, told me, one of the first things he told me, be careful. Don't, don't, don't speak of these things. People will cause you problems. 
what it's heck of fun. <laughs> really, really interesting, you know. Um, but no, the average person is not going to understand, and that even that even means the bulk of the people in the in the uh, in the ashrams and, and temples. You know, don't don't think the ashrams and temples and monasteries are pure, pure, pure. If human beings are outside, they're acting crazy. Human beings on the inside, they're acting crazy too. A monastery is just a big hospital. It's just people applied themselves because they knew they were nuts. <laughs> you know? So you have the more of an opportunity to get well inside the monastery. But you have to apply it knowing that you're nuts. <laughs> See? So don't think there's all blissful, sweet people inside. No. Half the place is demons. You know, acting out. So if if you read lots of books on these kind of things, you'll a lot of times, there's, there's some wonderful uh, stories in Zen where, you know, the, the Guruji, the head, or say the abbot, is reaching the end of his cycle and he's going to pass away. Yeah. Okay. I want just, I'll finish this story in just a minute. The, 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 the Guruji, we'll finish up and you can eat soon, is, is ending his cycle of life. So say he's 80, 90 years old. So he's looking for the next abbot. Now that's a highly political and dangerous situation when you're looking for the next abbot. So usually what would happen is the abbot would know the most pure student and the, and the one who's really destined to become the next guru in the, in the monastery. He would take that disciple and give them the most lowly rubbish job. He's sweeping, he's cleaning the toilets, he's cutting the vegetables. You know, He would put that person in the lowest job because all the political people who say, you know what, I've learned so much, I'm so skilled. All those people, you know, the people who want to be something, they're very political and they're like, okay, who should I cut down so that I can get that position? I, I'm so worthy. So they won't see the person who's cleaning the toilets. That was the safest place to put the next person to, to become the abbot. Because all the political people in the temple who think they're so special, and will do anything to get the, the abbot's job, they, their knives are drawn. So to protect the worthy student, they would hide them in the unworthy jobs of cleaning toilets and things. Wow. See? And then the teacher would write a letter, and upon his death, he would name such, so and such. So at least he could come to, come to the position. But don't, you know, these are really true stories. All kinds of assassinations, all kinds of intrigues. Think of like medieval Europe and the secession of a prince to becoming a king. How much, think, look, read Shakespeare to see how much stuff would happen. You know, people would all of a sudden disappear or have, you know, you're 14 years old, you have a heart attack. You know, or you simply disappear. The same kind of thing happens in temples and ashrams, you know. The same human ego is there. The same human weakness is there. So the teacher will often hide the most worthy one in, in the least job, just to protect them, you know? So if the Guruji is saying, hey, I want you to clean the toilet seven days a week, consider it a blessing, <laughs> you know? Or he's yelling at you like you're incompetent. Don't worry about it. His heart is pure. There's a, there's a divine reason for it, you know? Take it as a blessing, you know? Some, always, if it's a real Guruji, something good will happen. No matter what he's saying to you or what he's making you do, go build the wall here. No, no, go build it there. No, 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 go build it there. You think he's driving me crazy. Something good will happen for sure.
This is I'm telling you because I know this. This is all of my life. You know, it's it's really good. Anyway, I know the food is coming. <laughs> I, I've taken a, a lot of your time, so we'll uh, unless there's any immediate questions, we'll sit up, chant Om again three times. <laughs> this has been a little bit fiery, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit tough. Uh, but I thank you all for coming. You know, see, from my perspective, you, you didn't just show up. You know, from my perspective, God said each and every one of you. You know, so this particular kind of a talk, each and every one of you were supposed to hear. When the teacher talks, it's, it's God's business. You know, you know, not what Hari wants to say, what Hari wants to do. Forget that. That's nonsense. So heaven has sent every one of you to hear this type of talk today. So with a spine erect, take a deep breath in. Oh. private questions, just ask and enjoy each other. You're, you're all here for the same reason.